Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. This is David Walker. On today's special podcast, we continue our review of the Thomas Dimitrov years with the Atlanta Falcons. To help me with this task, I've invited a special guest to join me on each of these episodes as we break down the trades, free agent signings, and of course, the draft picks made in the Dimitrov era. My guest today is Adnan Ikic, one of our writers at Falcoholic.com. Adnan, thanks for joining me. Of course, happy to be here looking back on a, you know, fantastic 2015 season. (laughs) This is going to be very interesting. (laughs) And uh, as you mentioned, we are diving into 2015, uh, which is the first season under new head coach, Dan Quinn. Um, So to set up what this season was about, let's talk about what uh, came into this 2015 season. So obviously the 2014 season ended with a 6-10 and 10 season. Um, head coach Mike Smith, who had been with the team since 2008, uh, was fired. Uh, surprisingly, I think to many people, Thomas Dimitrov was retained. Of course, we are still talking about him. Um, and Dan Quinn uh, came in. He was hired uh, after a search by some committees that the uh, Falcons had hired. Uh, he had also they also brought in offensive coordinator Kyle Shanahan. Uh, of course, many Falcons fans still miss uh, that particular coach to this day. And for the second year in a row, the Falcons would go into the draft with a pick in the top ten, having finished four and twelve the year before, six and ten this year. The Falcons would have yet another top ten pick, and of course, we will talk about that in the second half of the podcast as we get into the 2015 draft class. But before we talk about the draft, uh, I'm not the one to talk about what the Falcons did in free agency. Um, This was a pretty interesting list because it wasn't just about the guys they kept. um, It was about some of the guys that they brought in and almost as much about the guys that they let walk. Because obviously when a new coach comes in, it's normal for there to be a lot of turnover. I think uh, even back when we covered Dan Quinn being hired, we talked about the fact that uh, his former head coach, uh, Pete Carroll, when he came into the Seahawks, almost completely revamped the roster there in a very short period of time. So it it would not be a big surprise that Dan Quinn would do something similar. So I want to talk about some of these departures because some of them uh, I think we're going to have some fun talking about, the first name on the list in particular. Um, <clears throat> the first name to go for the Falcons, I want to talk about, uh, Sam Baker. He was given the big contract, um, you know, 2014, the Falcons drafted, uh, Jake Matthews, uh, and originally Matthews was supposed to play right tackle. 
But Sam Baker yet again got injured um, early on in the season, and, and that's when Jake had to take over on the left side as a rookie. Uh, and Baker obviously came with a massive uh, amount of dead money because of the contract that he was given. Uh, what are your thoughts on this former first-round pick hitting the road and, and never playing in the NFL again? Uh, I think it's it, it says something that um... – the Falcons gave him that massive contract, and then after they parted ways with him, he never ended up playing in the NFL again, showing that yeah. he... Uh, Sam Baker is just the perfect example of cognitive dissonance with uh, Thomas Dimitrov, and a, <laughs> a lot of GMs do this, but he was uh, Dimitrov's first-round pick, his second-ever first-round pick in 2008. We remember uh, the Falcons got Matt Ryan, and then... Dimitrov traded back into the first round to get uh, Sam Baker. And Sam Baker was oft injured. He wasn't that great in his first few years. Certainly not great enough to justify that contract. And then he has that 2012 season where he, you know, puts puts things kind of together. And the entire team, um, you know, puts everything together for a 13-3 and run. And then Thomas Dimitrov is like, see, yes, like he was worth the first round pick. And then he doubles down. On uh, validation, <laughs> yep, validation instead of uh, recognizing the sunk cost and looking at his entire career like trajectory, he looks at his one season in a contract year of like you know being good. I'm not even going to say great, he wasn't like a pro bowl or anything, right? He gives him that terrible contract, and this is just like another one of those examples for why Dimitrov shouldn't have been retained with uh after Mike Smith uh, got fired after 2014, because it's like, bro, that was a terrible contract. And <laughs> that team was awful. Like, uh, I know we're talking about Baker right now, but I just remember l- watching the team in that week 17 loss against Carolina. And oh, I was thinking man. to myself, like, these are the players we have on the field right now. And I was putting a lot of blame on Dimitrov because of the roster that was like on the field. I know it was like a joint effort, but it wasn't just Mike Smith. So, you know, it, when Baker got cut, it was uh, it was a good riddance moment. But, you know, he left uh, it, he left a very, very big parting gift uh, with all that get, dead cap, which I think I don't think we like ended up shedding it until like very recently. Yeah. And that's. Uh, I think if, if there's a contract that people point to that was the worst that Dimitrov ever handed out, it has to be Sam Baker. That has to be the top of the list. Um, all right, some other guys that departed. Uh, Justin Blaylock, uh, starting left guard for many years, uh, ended up retiring. Uh, so you know the, that left a hole, of course, on the offensive line. Um, two guys that ended up leaving the team uh, that were drafted by Dimitrov in previous years, uh, Corey Peters and Sean Weatherspoon both ended up signing with the Cardinals. Uh, obviously, you know we know how Spoon's career has turned out. Peters is still playing um, and is you know still a, a quality player in this league. has has lasted a long time. So, your thoughts on these two guys being uh, hitting the road? Um, I actually really wanted to resign Peters uh, at yeah, the time. Like, he was he was a very very solid interior defensive lineman. And with Weatherspoon, it's different because he was like always injured. Yeah, it's not his fault, but you know he had he had his moments in 2012. But in the end, it's the best abilities availability, and Weatherspoon was like just never available seemingly. Um, 
it is funny with the Cardinals. Uh, they signed John Abraham after Dimitrov cut him way too soon after 2012 with no plan of, uh, you know, bringing in any pass rushers and our pass rushers suffered ever since then. And he was like a pro bowler with the Cardinals <laughs> a year later. So then they're like, all right, let's, di- let's dip back into like the Falcons reserves and like, see what we'll see what else they have for us. And he kept going with Robert Alford too. So, you know, the, yeah. Car- the Cardinals just kept, um, kept a close eye on Dimitrov's cuts <laughs> and on uh, Falcon <laughs> defensive free agents over the years. That's hilarious. Oh, so true. Um, all right. Some additional names. We'll, we'll go through these uh, pretty quickly. Um, Harry Douglas, uh, obviously drafted in 2008. Uh, he ended up leading the team signing with the Titans um, after having a thousand yard season in 2013 with the Falcons. Um, Robert McLean, longtime nickel corner, who uh, I felt was one of the actually one of Dimitrov's better free agent signings uh, in his time in Atlanta. He ended up leaving for the Patriots. Uh, Jaquiz Rogers uh, left the team, was signed with the Bears, uh, and Steven Jackson ended up being cut and uh, was not signed anywhere else. So Harry Douglas, Robert McLean, Jaquiz Rogers, Steven Jackson, any thoughts on uh, this list of guys ended up leaving the team? Um, yeah, I, I always thought that Harry Douglas owed half his paycheck to Matt Ryan after that <laughs> because like Matt Ryan is the one who got him paid like completely with that 2013 season. Uh, that that's why whenever someone like uh, argues that Matt Ryan is a product of his receivers around him, it's like, bro, he, he threw for like 4,500 yards in 2013 or even more than that. I forget how much it was. And he made Harry Douglas into a 1,000 yard receiver. And then yeah. like with the Titans, Harry Douglas was just, he, he was just like nowhere to be found. Like yeah. he, he was not good with the Titans. And then after parting ways with the Titans, he's now on, in, on Atlanta sports radio uh, at the end of his career. Um, yeah, Steven Jackson, 2014 was one of those infuriating years where you knew that Devontae Freeman was better than Steven Jackson, but the coaching staff just like kept going with like the old veteran. And it's like, all right, we're, we're like Steven Jackson has like been through the grind before. Like, yeah, he's been through like a massive grind as a running back. That's why he's not effective anymore. So it's yeah. it, it was one of those things where the Jackson signing just never worked out. Um, he he was not very good. He was over the hill with the Falcons in those two years, and he was just blocking the path of Devonte Freeman. And we we learned in 2015 that Devonte Freeman actually was like you know it, it was even it was even worse. Like when we found out in 2015 that Devonte Freeman was a Pro Bowl <laughs> level running back who won a lot of fantasy leagues and, you know, who had just one of the best years as a Falcons running back, maybe since Michael Turner in 2008. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Absolutely. So uh, closing out the list of guys that would end up leaving the team, um, Drew Davis, a longtime wide receiver and special teamer, Uh, Bear Pasco, who I completely forgot (laughs) was on the team uh, the prior year. Uh, Mike Johnson, former third round pick, um, offensive tackle, offensive guard, uh, stayed injured way too long. Uh, offensive tackle Gabe Karimi uh, was cut. Uh, and Josh Wilson, Javier Arenas, and then safety Dwight Lowry, who uh, ended up signing with the Colts. So these are the guys that left. Uh, there, there were a few more names, uh, not really notable, but 
Uh, you can see that's a pretty extensive list uh, for you know the the beginning of the Dan Quinn era to try to rebuild this roster. Um, guys that they kept, and there's just a few names here. Uh, the the number one on the list has to be, in my mind, kicker Matt Bryant, uh, who they gave a three year deal worth eight point five million uh, in this season. And obviously, Adnan, I think looking back, this one was a no brainer. Um, your thoughts on them keeping Matt Bryant in this season? Oh, absolutely, a no brainer. Uh, I remember Matt Bryant was brought in in two thousand in like November of two thousand nine. Uh, because Jason Elam was just terrible. That Started season. falling apart. Yeah. yeah, absolutely fell apart. And it was one specific game against the Panthers where he missed two big kicks and the Falcons lost yep. by like one point or something like that. And then they went, got Matt Bryan, who was cut by the Bucks, And I think he was in, was it the CFL or something like that? He was in like another league. And Bryan just like was glistening from the start and yeah. at this at this point he was one of the league's best kickers and you know it, it's a three-year deal and we saw what he ended up doing like the next three years he was absolutely automatic he ended up becoming uh the falcons all-time leading scorer after a while so that was that was a great signing when it happened very lucky signing um because you know i always say if if uh, everyone knew that he was going to be that good. He wouldn't have been a free agent in November, but uh, in the end, uh, the Falcons—you know—the Falcons got their money's worth and then some with Matt Bryant. Yeah, and I think the thing that's worth pointing out here too is, you know, Matt was—he was not uh, a youngin at this point. Um, he was, you know, way past uh, his prime supposedly, but uh, certainly had plenty of leg left in his in his career. Um, all right, some of the other guys that uh, the Falcons kept: wide receiver uh, Eric Weems, who they signed to a two-year, um, two-point-eight million deal. Quarterback T.J. Yates <laughs> completely forgot that he was uh, on the team. Something about the Falcons and former Texans quarterbacks as their backup uh, is is really weird as well. You were talking about some of the tendencies of the Cardinals. Well, apparently we like signing t- uh, former Texans quarterbacks. Um, TJH one year deal worth 1.5 million. Uh, running back Antone Smith one year deal worth 1.4 million, and safety Charles Godfrey one year deal 1.25 million. So, any thoughts on some of these guys that they uh, kept onto the team? Um, yeah, I, I just keep remembering Anton Smith in 2014. It's like every <laughs> single time this man touched the ball, he'd go for a touchdown, and yeah. you know, we, <laughs> like we five kept- touches, four touchdowns, and like three games it yeah, was ridiculous and they were like long touchdowns like he was flashing yeah. his speed and everything and you know another case of mike smith deciding to pound the rock with uh steven jackson instead <laughs> and just never utilize i like i can't imagine what it would have been like if uh if kyle shanahan was here and we had anton smith like you know in like prime anton smith 2014 anton smith not like oft injured uh later on anton smith but you know that's neither here nor there. Um, you know, Eric Weems, he's someone that the team brought back because they were comfortable with him. Uh, he was he was well past his prime at this point. He was a pro bowler in 2010. And, you know, he was a he was a heck of a return man back then. But then we saw, you know, 2015, 2016, he was he was a human fair catch. Like he never <laughs> he never like did really anything to flip the field or to give the Falcons a distinct advantage with uh, the punt return game, kind of like what we see now. Yeah. 
Yep, exactly. Uh, and I, I do want to say for for Weems, he was um, at least incredibly good on the coverage side as well. Um, you know, he he did sort of cut his teeth as uh, a guy that not only fielded the kicks and punts, but also was on the coverage side and, and did a fairly good job at that. Um, but as you know, definitely passed his prime uh, at this point. All right, let's talk about some of the free agent signings because there are some. I had forgotten about some of these names, but um, I will say when I went through this list, uh, researching this podcast ahead of time, I was actually reminded that this was, in my mind, a decent set of free agent signings. And I think especially for the money that was given out. So let's go through some of these. Um, The first one on my list, tight end Jacob Tammy, who was given a two-year deal worth $3.2 million. Your thoughts on Tammy? Because I feel like, that was the the first sort of value signing that I think actually had a really big impact on the Falcons for this season. Yeah, he was a big time contributor for the Falcons. Um, like, well, not like Matt, he wasn't like Tony Gonzalez levels, but he was a, a great bridge in the gap between Tony Gonzalez and uh, what we saw from Austin Hooper later on after the Falcons drafted Hooper. Um, in 2016, he was he was a really good contributor to that Super Bowl team. Um, you know, it was it, it was a this was a really solid signing. Um, the Falcons did some bargain bin shopping. Uh, I think Dimitrov at this point was known as someone who wasn't going to uh, dish out big money to free agents. Uh, he didn't. I don't think until Alex Mack a year later, and even then, that was probably because his job was a little bit on the line. And because of the Kyle Shanahan connection, uh, being uh, Cleveland's offensive coordinator, so it was. Um, th- this was this was a really good signing, and you know the rest of these names on the list. It was a lot of uh, a lot of bargain bin shopping, which at that point the Fal- Falcons fans had come to expect. Yeah, and was somewhat necessary. You know, obviously the Falcons became a very top-heavy organization with Matt Ryan, Julio Jones getting you know big contracts, but. Uh, I will say, I think Tammy, you know, to your point, was a good value signing and was not Tony Gonzalez, but for what he was paid, you know, 1.6 million a year, I felt like the productivity was there. Uh, next name on the list. Uh, this is the biggest contract they would hand out in the 2015 season, and that was to linebacker Brooks Reed, who got a five year deal worth 22 million. So obviously, the, the golden locks. <laughs> of Brooks Reed are what a lot of people are going to remember, but uh, he was a decent player in his time in Atlanta. I don't, he wasn't a game changer. Uh, certainly wasn't the pass rusher that you know we hoped he would be, but he was uh, solid against the run, just a, a good rotational guy. So your thoughts on Reed and, and what he meant to this team in Dan Quinn's tenure? I mean, yeah, it's when you sign a five-year deal and you end up on the team for four years, it's, it's a pretty good indication that you were – Either you were a, a solid signing or that contract structure was like terrible to the point where the team couldn't get rid of you. But, you know, in in Reed's case, it was the former. Um, right. Yeah. In 2016, in that that playoff run, it, it was really that playoff run was pretty remarkable in that all of these players who uh, were draft picks, who were free agent signings, like they all came together and it felt like everyone made a contribution to at least one of those two NFC uh, wins between the Seahawks and the uh, Packers. I remember Reed had a really good game against the Seahawks. 
Yeah. Then, then a year later against the Bears, we remember his like his heroics in Week One. Uh, <laughs> had that game-winning sack. Had those uh two sacks in that one. Sure did. Yeah, he was never like a a great like sack guy. Uh, he never really was in his career. His career high was his rookie year with six. But uh, in fairness to Reed, he wasn't someone you were expecting to bring in and to just like fix the pass rush. You know, he, right. he cost more than like. $4.5 million a year for that. But yeah, it was, this was another one where, you know, it, it was, it, it was a really, it was a, it was a decent value signing, a very fair contract all around. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, next name on the list, linebacker, Justin Durant, um, three years, 10.8 million. Um, I also liked this signing, uh, you know, the Falcons, obviously they had issues at the linebacking uh, position and, uh, he was a, a solid veteran. Again, he, he would stay with the Falcons for a couple of years. Um, your thoughts on Durant? Uh, Durant, it was just unfortunate because Durant was always like oft injured, like very like, um, yep. you know, very injured player throughout his entire career. He stayed relatively healthy in his, in his one year with the Falcons in 2015. He played 13 games. Uh, the Deion Jones drafting him, I think it kind of made Durant a bit expendable. And the team opted to, uh, you know, save the cap space with him. What sticks out most with Justin Durant? I remember after he after we signed him, uh, he he tweeted out something along the lines of, "Oh, two eighty five is the worst highway in, like in the entire country. Like, what is this?" <laughs> and then everyone was replying to him. They're like, "Oh, welcome to Atlanta, man." <laughs> I forgot about that. That's so true. Oh my god, yeah. Um, he he was. Uh, I will say uh, for what we paid him, probably a little bit too much, uh, again, with the injury history, but I felt like he did a good job in 2015 to bridge the gap. Um, Next name on the list, wide receiver Leonard Hankerson. That's a blast from the past. (laughs) I'm telling you, this guy had stone hands and uh, was brought in. He had played in Washington with Kyle Shanahan, one-year deal worth $1 million. I liked this contract because number one, it was a receiver that had experience with uh, offensive coordinator, Kyle Shanahan. Um, Number two, uh, whether fans wanted to admit it or not, the wheels had fallen off of Roddy white. He was not the same receiver he used to be. Um, And this season sort of cemented that. And number three, it was such a cheap deal. It was, you know, for one year, $1 million. It was, you know, just above vet minimum. Um, even though Hankerson didn't turn out to be much of a contributor this year or, or a significant one anyways. What were your thoughts on Hankerson? And again, I, I feel like it's one of those like no-risk signings for Dimitrov. I'm never going to complain over a one-year, $1 million contract. Just because, like you said, it's there's just no risk to it at all. And it, it was... It was like a healthy roll of the dice. It was like, you know, we're the gamble, yeah. see, see what we can get. And, you know, in fairness, he... He had a great game against the Giants that that season. Like you know, it yep. was week. Yeah, it was the week two win against the Giants. I think it was week two. He pretty much won us that game. I think that in of itself pretty much justified the signing. Um, <laughs> yeah, he played. He played eight games for the Falcons. You know, it didn't work out. I think he's a. Uh, last I saw from Hankerson, it was a few years ago. I think he was selling used cars at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his uh, his tendency to drop passes too was was a bit. Uh, uh, yeah, th- that'll make you public enemy number one with the fan base real quick. Oh man, we've had way too much of that over the years uh, with with the Falcons. 
Um, all right, a couple of guys, uh, Tony, uh, tight end Tony Moyaki. He never actually took the field for the Falcons. They brought him on. Um, offensive guard slash center Mike Person, three-year deal worth three point six million. I remember on the beginning of the 2015 season when the Falcons started five and zero. Mike Person was given a ton of credit, you know, for stabilizing the center position. Um, after you know several years with uh, you know guys like oh you know Joe Hawley who who ended up not even he got cut and uh, ended up moving on to the Bucks. Um, and yet I, I think his first five games did not tell the full story of what his season would be. Um, but your thoughts on person, because he, I mean, he ended up being a starter for a good bit of the season. Yeah. Uh, it was mostly a starter out of necessity. I think, right. correct me if I'm wrong, but Mike person, um, he wasn't really a center coming into that season. No, right? He was he like was always a guard. a guard. Yep. Uh, and it was, one of those situations where you kind of thrust him into the center position just out of sheer necessity. I, that, that's the why I don't really blame him for, you know, his struggles that year just because it was, it was an unknown position for him that he had never really played like at the NFL level. Now it's like, all right, you're our starting center this year. But man, that, that was the year where he had, you could tell he hadn't played it just because of all the fumbles he had. Yeah, he led all non non skill position players that year with four fumbles, and for your starting center to fumble the ball four times, that's ridiculously awful. Um, yeah, yeah, and he had some really inopportune fumbles too, like at some of the worst moments. Which again, that also turned the fan base against him. And I think after that, the team realized that with the center position, we can't just go, we can't just cheap out on it the way we just did again. So, exactly. so then that was, that was what convinced, uh, I'm sure the team to sign Alex Mack more than anything. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And with the, the run of tack or uh, guys I had at center since, uh, the retirement of Todd McClure, uh, Mike person stands out as, uh, you know, one of the ones who was the most desperate, as you mentioned, the fact the guy had not played center before. And, you know, to be fair, those first five games he played well, but then it it really, the wheels came off after that. I mean, everyone played well in the first five games. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Start 5-0, and finish 8-8, and something went wrong. Um, Last name on the list, uh, and then we're going to take a break and go into the draft, was linebacker O'Brien Schofield, who had a history uh, of playing with the Seahawks, so Dan Quinn was very familiar with him. one year deal worth 1.7 million. Uh, it was funny. He got a lot of hype from uh, Falcons fans who just loved this guy while, while he was with the team. So um, I don't remember him doing anything particularly impressive uh, in his time at Atlanta. It seemed like he had like one or two decent games, but uh, your thoughts on Schofield. Yeah. Uh, O'Brien Schofield was a great vocal leader. Um, and that that's what made the fan base fall in love with him. And he was, uh, you know, I think he did the dirty bird a couple times. So everyone's like, oh my uh, God, look at him. That, that um, was it. <laughs> I yeah. forgot about that. And I, I do remember it was like uh, after, you know, we parted ways a year later, the fan base was just like up in arms of, oh, why are we not re-signing O'Brien Schofield? Like, you know, bring him back and it's like acting like he was Deion Jones or like, you know, a Pro Bowl yeah. level player. And I do remember in this one Falcons group I had, someone asked a really good question. They said, well, other than like being a leader and doing the dirty bird, literally what has O'Brien Schofield done? And I don't think anyone (laughs) had like, you know, a legitimate answer to that. So that's where you knew it's like, all right, 
like the fan base, the fan base gets gets hyped, gets overhyped on some of these players very quickly sometimes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that has happened more than once for sure. Um, okay, so we have talked about free agency, some of the guys the Falcons brought in and let go. Uh, obviously, the big talk is going to be the first draft class under new head coach Dan Quinn. This is a doozy. This will be fun to talk about. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. We're back on the Falcoholic Podcast. This is David Walker. I am joined by fellow writer at the Falcoholic, Adnan Ikic. We are covering the 2015 season under former Falcons GM, Thomas Dimitrov. We talked about free agency in the first half. Now it's time to talk about the 2015 draft class. This one is going to be fun. Um, Obviously, I want to start this off by talking about the first four or five picks in this draft class because... I think we forget, you know, we, we think we remember, if you will, our own uh, failure in this draft. And this was sort of uh, a disaster in the first several picks. So number one, Jameis Winston uh, with Tampa. Uh, number two, Marcus Mariota with uh, the Titans. Number three, Dante Fowler, who is now Falcon uh, with Jacksonville. Number four, Amari Cooper to Oakland. Uh, still in the league, still playing you know, fairly well, but with Dallas. Uh, number five, I think Brandon Scherf is probably the first player in this top 10 that uh, really panned out uh, for the team that he was drafted by. Um, and then, you know, the Falcons, several picks later, would get their shot. I want to say, we all know who the name is. Uh, if you don't, then you're going to get a wake-up call here in just a second. I want to say it, it was pretty clear coming in that the Falcons had a need at the pass rush position. They had had a need, frankly, since 2013 when um, uh, John Abraham was allowed to walk uh, or was cut. I'm sorry, he was cut by the team. Uh, Over the years, uh, Thomas Dimitrov uh, brought in guys like Ray Edwards, O.C. Umanura, to try to fix the pass rush, and it's never been as good as when it was uh, with Abraham on the team. So that said... With the number eight pick in the first round out of Clemson University, the Falcons took Vic Beasley, defensive end, uh, pass rusher, edge player, Adnan. Um, obviously, we know how this has panned out at this point. <laughs> and I, I, I want to point out a couple of things. So number one, um, of the pass rushers taken in the first round, uh, Dante Fowler, um, Vic Beasley, um, let's see here, uh, Leonard Williams, Bud who's, yeah, Bud Dupree, Eric Armstead. Um, Beasley of these guys is second in total sacks with 37.5 in his career so far. Uh, Bud Dupree has 39.5 uh, and is obviously still with Pittsburgh. Um, and Bud Dupree would go at 22. So 
what are your thoughts on this pick? Obviously, we have hindsight now, but even just looking at the pick at the time, um, what are your thoughts on uh, Vic Beasley? Oh, I was super happy about it at the time because he wasn't supposed to fall to eight. I think uh, Brendan Sheriff getting taken by the Redskins, that was unexpected. Everyone thought that uh, the Redskins were probably going to go for a pass rusher and maybe Beasley himself. Um, yeah, it was. he was a really good player at Clemson in college. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's easy to look back and say, oh, that was a bust of a pick. But at the time, pass rusher was easily the biggest need on the team. And it, you know, probably still is all these years later. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Beasley, he was... Like I, I do remember, I, I recall in 2014, like a year earlier, um, you know, Beasley had already made his name at Clemson, and you know he was uh, he was tearing up the ACC at this point. And I was talking to one of my friends, and I was like, "Man, it would be like fantastic to for the if the Falcons were to draft Vic Beasley." But you know, we're not going to be bad enough this year. We're probably going to like you know make the playoffs and go on and until like a playoff run. And, you know, we won't we won't be picking close close enough to take Vic Beasley in the top ten. But, you know, that that didn't uh pan out the way I was expecting. So uh <laughs> we were sitting at the eighth pick. And it was a big debate between Beasley and Todd Gurley, uh best player available, BPA. Yeah. But the Falcons didn't have a need at running back. Like Devontae Freeman had started coming on strong at the end of the twenty fourteen season. Uh and he was gonna be the starting running back and you know Freeman justified the faith that the team had in him by yeah. having, you know, two Pro Bowl seasons in 2015 and 2016. It's easy to look back and say, oh, the team should have gotten Gurley, who, you know, tore the league up with the Rams. But Vic Beasley, he was, he had that, he had that solid 2016 season, you know, solid. He had that fantastic 2016 season. And I think, uh, like we'll talk about with the second name on the list, I feel like if the if the Falcons would have just finished the job against the Patriots in uh in Super Bowl fifty one, we'd be looking back on this and saying, All right, Vic Beasley, like, you know, he didn't really last with the team after his like rookie contract, but it was justified, you know, more so yeah. than ever because he helped the team uh win the Super Bowl. He helped the team get to the Super Bowl and win it. Even if uh he didn't he wasn't great in the playoffs, he demanded so much attention in the playoffs that it um it opened things up for other players. The pass rushers overall on this list weren't great. You know, Bud Dupree was the best one you mentioned. There was also also Shane Ray who ended yeah. up going to the Broncos. Uh, there he flamed was, out fast yeah, too. He flamed out. There was Randy Gregory who at one point was like thought of as a top ten pick, but then like you know the drug um the drug failures ended up just tanking him all the way down to the Cowboys like. A number of rounds later yeah. so it was um it or sorry it was in the second round he went down he fell to 60 he fell all the way to 60 um you know looking at a frank clark 163 actually that was a hell of a pick but yeah i i think I, i'm not mad at the vic beasley pick you know just because it's easy to talk about in hindsight i will give a lot of credit to mel kuyper though because i remember he was bashing on the pick when it happened he was talking about how Beasley only has the one speed rush move and you know he has no counter moves and how he was gonna like uh struggle in the NFL and you know me being a biased fan I'm like oh what does Mel Kuyper know like you you know (laughs) like maybe he should shut up 
Um, but yeah, it, it, he he was he ended up being completely right, and you know, full respect to him. There's there's a reason why these draft guys get paid the big bucks. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and, and in fairness, very few of the first round pass rushers worked out, as you mentioned. You know, um, uh, Bud Dupree, I think, is the exception here. Uh, Shane Ray flamed out, was out of the league by 2008. Obviously, Dante Fowler, we're experiencing that firsthand right now. Um, it, and honestly, it wasn't until the later rounds, like Preston Smith went in the second round, um, you know, went to Washington and, and has been a good player in the league. Um, Marcus Golden, you know, who has 32 and a half sacks in his career, went in the second round. Um, probably the the best pass rusher out of this class was in the third round, Daniil Hunter, uh, who was drafted by Minnesota. So I, I think this is a reminder that, you know, when it comes to the draft, um, edge rushers and quarterbacks are can be, you know, overvalued in the first round. And a lot of times uh, you can go through an entire first round and not find the guy. You know, it, it's, you know, look at the two quarterbacks in this class. Neither are with their drafting team at this point. Um, and that's, you know, that is such a big, uh, big miss uh, for, for uh, those teams. So uh, yeah, you know, I, I liked the pick as well. Actually, I, I will say in the time I didn't think we we're going to get Beasley and um, I was pounding the table for Dupree. I thought Dupree was uh, an athletic freak. Um, I thought that he could be a guy that, you know, could grow into the role over time. Um, so you know, maybe in hindsight, uh, I was, I was happy when we got Beasley cause I, I was with you. I didn't think he was going to make it all the way to us at eight. I thought for sure another team was going to take him, but alas, <laughs> we ended up with him. Um, all right. Second round pick. This one was interesting because we've heard some stories now in hindsight that make this one, uh, uh more interesting, I guess you could say, um, at the number 73 pick in the second round, the Falcons, I'm sorry, number 42 pick in the second round out of LSU, the Falcons took Jalen Collins cornerback. Um, Obviously, you said it perfectly. If we had won the Super Bowl 2016, I think a lot of people would look at what Collins did in particular in the end of the 2016 season and going to the playoffs and said, you know what, he didn't work out, but man, he sure did work out in that 2016 season. That was great. Instead, we're talking about this guy being a complete bust. Um, And we had heard that the Falcons were looking at – Landon Collins, the safety who would ultimately be taken by the Giants at the top of the second round. And I don't know how much truth there is to the story. It's just what we've heard. Um, We heard that the Falcons were targeting uh, that Collins. And then when he came off the board, they were so caught off guard that they grabbed another Collins instead. I I don't want to believe it because it sounds so preposterous. And yet, it's the Falcons, which makes me think it is a distinct possibility that that is what happened, uh, especially since Landon Collins was actually a very and is a very, very good player. Um, so your thoughts, uh, Adnan, on Jalen Collins and his time with the Falcons? Well, first, I do want to say I believe fully that the team was targeting Landon Collins just because a year later they took Keanu Neal in the first round. So, yeah. Uh, also, uh, safeties are so important in Dan Quinn's scheme overall. So I would not have been surprised if he was looking for safety early and often. But of course, pass rusher just trumped all all needs. So that's why I went with uh, Beasley with the eighth pick. But I mean, yeah, Jalen Collins, he was, 
I think we were all a bit surprised when that was the pick in the second round. I think that was one of those Dan Quinn specials where it's like, oh, who like him really? Like I thought, <laughs> you know, is not a bit of a reach. Uh, but yeah, he was, you know, he fit all of the Dan Quinn like, you know, he felt the Dan Quinn mold as a cornerback. Uh, very tall, lengthy, you know, physical guy. Went to LSU. Um, so yeah, that, those are all things that Dan Quinn just loves. And, you know, like, like I briefly mentioned, he was really good in 2016 after Desmond Trufant went down yep. to the point where if the team would have won, like the Super Bowl, that pick would have been justified. The Rashid Hagman pick from 2014 would have probably been justified because of the great NFC championship game he had. It was, but, you know, losing that game instead of, instead of justifying the pick, I think it soured people more on Collins because he really got picked on in that Super Bowl game uh, throughout the course of that second half. Uh, Then, you know, fails another drug test, and he ended his career getting burned in week four of the preseason a few years later. Yeah, uh, sort of a rough, rough path for him. And as you mentioned, just being a knucklehead, which we knew when we drafted him, that was no big surprise. Um, and I think, you know, some people were pleasantly surprised that the Falcons took a chance on him because he had a ton of upside and we knew that the biggest question mark with him was going to be more about the, the mental game and whether or not he could, you know, stay in, um, and stay, you know, clean at the NFL level. And obviously he, he struggled with that, uh, even as he, uh, had a very short career <laughs> with in the NFL. I think he was done after 2016. He hasn't been back. Um, so definitely, I think a big, a big miss there. Um, next name on this list. And, and I want to point out some guys in the second round right after Jalen Collins, um, Houston took, uh, Benadric McKinney, uh, linebacker, Eric Kendricks went a couple of picks later. Uh, obviously the Falcons had a need at linebacker. Both those guys I think would have been, um, excellent picks. Um, especially since both guys are still playing in the league. Collins is not. Um, a little bit later in this round, you know, you think about the the fact that the Falcons, uh, the offensive line was still sort of patchwork. Um, you've got, you know, Ali Marpet, uh, who went towards the back end of the second I round. I really liked Ali Marpet. Like, I yeah. really liked him coming out. Um, and unfortunately, he's now in the division. Uh, yeah, with, with Tampa. Yeah. And, uh, and then, obviously, you mentioned earlier Frank Clark uh, at the – second last pick in the second round. So, um, you know, it's sometimes it's looking back on these draft classes that makes some of these misses even more painful when you realize, Oh my God, we could have had this guy. We could have had this guy. And you realize, you know, they went with Collins instead. Um, but then again, I want to say, you know, when it comes to Frank Clark, um, every team passed on him at least once. Uh, and, and most teams in the league passed on him a second time before Seattle grabbed him at the back and second. So, uh, you know, that's as you get into the later rounds, I, I, don't, I don't think it's fair to overly criticize the team for missing on some of these guys because every team in many ways missed on these guys. All right. Third round pick. Pick number 73 out of Indiana. The Falcons took running back Tevin Coleman. Um, <laughs> the one thing I will never forget during the draft talk of this guy was, um, we heard repeatedly bad scheme fit. Um, and obviously, uh, when you hear people say that, don't trust that they know what they're saying, <laughs> because, um, if, if anything, 
many of us were confused uh, by this pick. We thought, hey, you know, Devontae Freeman, uh, you know, was sitting a year. We we thought for sure he would become the starter. I think a lot of people saw Tevin Coleman and said, oh, man, they're just going to go ahead and give up on Freeman. And obviously that did not end up being the case. And Coleman really wouldn't make an impact until 2016. His 2015 was relatively quiet. But what are your thoughts on picking that running back in the third round and, and what he ended up doing with the Falcons? Yeah, I mean, Coleman was great in, in uh, college at Indiana. And this felt like a full Kyle Shanahan pick. It felt like our, Shanahan was like, all right, you guys got your like first two-round defensive players. Now let's start addressing the offense a little bit. And I think the plan was to give Tevin Coleman that starting job and to have Devontae Freeman continue to be a backup. Because in that first game against the Eagles, uh, Coleman had uh, 20 carries in that game. Uh, he got 80 yards. And I remember the fan base was just enamored with you know 80 yards on uh, overall four yards per carry because the past two years we had been watching um, Steven Jackson run in quick run in quicksand. So it was um, it, uh, a week later. I remember he he had that rib injury, and then Devontae Freeman took over the starting job and just never looked back. Um, yeah. Uh, Freeman was just fantastic against the Cowboys, had three touchdowns, three touchdowns against the Texans. And then Coleman was kind of uh, came back to like a reserve role. And in 2016, Shanahan did a great job of, you know, utilizing both Coleman and Freeman as the best one-two punch among running backs in the league that year. Um, Yeah, so this was overall a a really good pick in the third round. Like Coleman didn't make it past his uh, rookie contract. But given all that he did uh, for the Falcons in 2016 and then 2017, it was it was overall a good pick. Yeah, I liked it. And uh, a lot of credit to Coleman, who worked a ton between 2015 and 2016 to become a better receiver. And as we saw in the 2016 season, both he and Devontae were incredible receivers out of the backfield. And um, in particular, I remember Coleman's game against the Broncos in 2016, where uh, you know they they leaned on him heavily, and he I think he had a receiving touchdown that game, and uh, he he had a fantastic game against a really really good Broncos defense in that game. So I love the pick. Uh, I felt like again good value here. Um, some other guys that went in the third round this same draft class: uh, Jordan Hicks, uh, outside linebacker, a little bit later on. Um, obviously, the big name in this round was Daniel Hunter, uh, pass rusher out of Minnesota. And again, you know, 54 and a half sacks over his career has obviously been a really, really good pass rusher in the NFL. I just want to say every team passed on him twice. You know, he made it all the way to the third round. Uh, so I don't want to give the the Falcons too much crap. And honestly, Coleman, I think, was uh, a good pick at that point as well. So um, I like it. And I felt like even in hindsight, we can look back and agree this is, you know, pretty, pretty solid pick for, for Thomas Dimitrov. Okay. Fourth round at number 107 out of ECU, the Falcons took wide receiver Justin Hardy. Um, Hardy, in my Dave's mind, best was... friend. What's that? Dave, Dave Choate's best friend. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, we talked earlier about Harry Douglas uh, moving on from the team and, and going to the Titans. Uh, Justin Hardy felt like uh, a replacement for that. Obviously, Julio Jones, uh, Roddy White were still on the team. Uh, and... You know, a lot of people thought that Hardy could come in and, and be a you know just a pure slot receiver. 
Um, great hands, uh, absolutely phenomenal. And he had massive hands. If I remember right from the combine, they, they just measured like enormous hands. Um, it, he was quick, not fast, uh, but he seemed to be like a, a decent um, receiver and, and obviously was incredibly productive in college. Uh, so what are your thoughts on Justin Hardy and what he ended up doing with the team? Meh. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, you know, he was number four wide receiver, you know, with the team. Great hands. Uh, I said um, if you were to combine his hands with, you know, maybe uh, all of Calvin Ridley's tools, for example, you'd have maybe the greatest, you know, wide receiver in the league. <laughs> no kidding. Um, but uh, he was um, – it, overall, like, you know, sure, it's a fourth rounder, but it ended up being kind of a waste of a fourth rounder. Like, Hardy never really did anything with the team. You know, he had, yeah. like, some moments here and there, but, you know, he, he did come into, um, he, he did come into, uh, the NFL having, uh, won the, uh, the Burrisworth trophy for, you know, outstanding walk on. He had, I think, the uh, FBS Division One record for most receptions ever at ECU. So you know it was a college legend, but that doesn't always translate into the NFL. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, some other guys that went in the fourth round that uh, went after uh, Hardy. Jamison Crowder went two picks before Hardy, so obviously we you know can't uh, nail the Falcons for that. Um, all the way down at number one twenty four, Quan Alexander, uh, who honestly I think is probably a little bit. Uh, overrated as a linebacker, but he's still a decent player, still in the league. Um, but probably the most notable would be Shaq Mason um, at number one thirty-one, uh, who is you know center and, and is still playing league. And oh yeah, um, let's not forget Zadarius Smith, um, who is a pass rusher, has forty-four and a half sacks. Um, so again, it's sort of an upside-down draft class for pass rushers, where you've got guys in the third and fourth round who have more uh, more combined sacks than the guys in the first round. Um, so again, just shows you sort of the erratic nature of, uh, you know, the NFL and, and where some of these guys end up, uh, delivering. All right. Next pick. This one is going to make us happy. The Falcons actually traded up in the fifth round to move up to number 137. Um, and out of Clemson, the second player they would take out of Clemson defensive tackle, Grady Jarrett. Um, I, I think we can look at. Uh, the fifth round here and look, Stefan Diggs would go at number 146. He is a phenomenal receiver. Um, obviously not still not with, not with Minnesota anymore, but uh, great pick there. Maybe, you know, you've got Tyler Davidson uh, who was taken a little bit later. Obviously he's with the Falcons and is, is a decent, you know, interior player, but bar none, Grady Jarrett, who went at the very first pick in the fifth round uh, at 137, he is the best player out of this fifth round and probably one of the best defensive players out of this entire draft. Um, so what are your thoughts on the Falcons and, and in particular, you know, Dimitrov making the move, moving up to that number, uh, that top pick in the fifth round to grab Grady Jarrett? I think it was the greatest draft pick in Dimitrov's tenure. Uh, looking at everything, you know, obviously there was Matt Ryan, yeah. there was Julio Jones. Yeah. But when you take value into consideration of uh, Grady Jarrett being a fifth rounder, like Matt Ryan was the third overall pick, Julio Jones, you had to you know trade pretty much an entire draft class to move up to get him at six. But Jarrett, he was you know in the fifth round, and 
it was unacceptable even at the time at the time for Jared to fall to the fifth round. Like he right. was super productive in uh in Clemson, you know, a fantastic college player. And the only real knock on him was that he was short. He was like six feet tall, and that was that's kind of a ridiculous thing for you know a player to get knocked so much for him to go, drop all the way to the fifth round. Like Jared should have been a second second rounder probably, uh, given like everything, uh, taking everything into consideration. Yeah, but, you know it's uh, the Falcons' gain. Uh, they moved up. I, I remember you know he's also uh, uh, Tuggle's son. So it was, uh, you know, it was it was a great moment. Jesse Tuggle announced the pick, and you know, he immediately uh, got a lot of support from the fan base. Uh, yep. So, I I wonder where 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 Jared goes if there's like a full redraft of this 2015 class, like you know, oh, top, top of the second, if not end of the first, easily. No, I mean, like I I'm thinking more oh, like top, no, 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 I'm I'm thinking more like he'd be top ten. Like in yeah. the, this entire draft class, maybe oh, even yeah, top yeah. five. Like, yeah. uh, I mean, if there was a redraft, like right now, like today, um, he was, you know, fantastic. And this is one of those where you know we've gone through each round and we're like, oh well, the Falcons could have also gotten this this guy who's a better pick, who would have been a better pick. The Falcons could have gotten this guy, and you know, it's hindsight twenty twenty. But this is the pick where the Falcons got him, and this is other teams being like. Well, yeah, like uh, Seattle. Yeah, we got Trey Poole, but we could have gotten Grady Jarrett. Um, right. And being like, we got John Feliciano, but we could have gotten, could have gotten Grady, Grady Jarrett here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the Ravens got Buck Allen, you know, Devorius Allen. Oh, it could have been Jarrett. So it was it was one of those where this one is full, like full on hit. There is no player after him that you would have rather had. Yeah. And I scanned through this draft class and I was like, oh, man. Um, especially from this point forward, uh, as you go through the sixth round and into the seventh round, there is just no one. Um, maybe, maybe Trent Brown in the seventh round, uh, guard with the uh, San Francisco, but that's it. And uh, otherwise, like Grady Jarrett was the best pick, honestly, for the remainder of the draft, uh, easily. And as you mentioned, probably would be a top 10 pick if you redrafted this entire draft class. So, um, and rightfully so he has been one of the best interior pass rushers in the NFL, uh, since, uh, since he came into the league and who can forget, who can forget his performance, uh, in the Super Bowl, uh, where he just absolutely was, a, a destroying the Patriots offensive line single-handedly. Um, it is a shame that we have not paired him with any other guys and that right now, even in this 2020 season, it's literally Grady Jarrett and a bunch of dudes. Um, so sad, but hopefully, hopefully the next coaching staff, next GM will, will address that. Finally. Um, finally to close out the draft, uh, just two last names, both taken in the seventh round. Both of these guys ultimately wouldn't do much in the league. Um, number 225 out of Eastern Washington, offensive lineman Jake Rogers, and at new, number 249 out of San Jose State, safety slash corner Akeem King. Um, neither of these guys worked out with the Falcons or with any other team, and it's the seventh round, so I don't want to hammer too much on these guys. Um, so with that, Adnan, we've gone through free agency. We've gone through the draft. Um, why don't you give me your – grade, if you will, for what Dimitrov did in free agency, what he did in the draft, and ultimately the job that he did for the 2015 season. 
Uh, it was it was a pretty solid offseason overall. You know, I'd probably give it um, maybe like a B minus, uh, just because uh, none like you got you got some nice contributors. You didn't really uh, wait. Let, let me let me uh, redo it. Uh, let's make it a solid B, not a B minus overall okay. B, just because Grady Jarrett was just that good of a pick. You know, he yeah. was like a, a game changer. But you know nobody else really like in free agency. You didn't really get any any real game changers. Um, you know in the draft, Vic Beasley was was solid for a year. But you know that's a top ten pick where he didn't make it past his rookie contract. You yeah. know I, I know we talked about like in the moment, but now that we have the gift of hindsight, you know Beasley wasn't like you know a fantastic pick. Collins was a bust. Um, <laughs> Coleman was solid. Uh, Jarrett was really good, but you know there was a lot of foundational pieces here, um, which resulted in that Super Bowl run. Like a lot of a lot of good contributors, solid. And you know, with the Super Bowl, of course, you know we know about uh, Freeman, we know about um, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones. There were a lot of these guys who were worker bees, so to speak, and um, in helping the team get to that point. And I feel like again, had we won that uh super bowl we'd be looking at this uh draft class and this overall free agency in a different light because we'd be like oh well jalen collins had that great 2016 and we probably don't win the super bowl without like him stepping up and um yeah stepping into it so you know that's that's a shame but overall that's just how it goes with uh with evaluating the past so you know this was it, it was solid and we still have grady jarrett to um to show for it at this point and yeah you know he's been he's been absolutely fantastic so i this wasn't 2012 you know uh, or t- the 2013 offseason at all so this was this was one of dimitrov's better you know better off seasons yeah i i would tend to agree and obviously it's the precursor to what would i think ultimately be his best offseason in 2016 um, but he did solid work in this one. And again, I, I feel like Vic Beasley, obviously we can hate on that pick now, but at the time it made a ton of sense. Um, he was a consensus, you know, top pass rusher in this draft class. Um, and, you know, Jalen Collins, a lot of people thought he was going to go in the first round. So he was a player that many people thought, oh, hey, the Falcons may have gotten some value here, um, even if he didn't work out. And as you mentioned, I think the narrative changes um, based on the Super Bowl, and obviously that 2016 season ended with so much pain that it's hard to see what these guys did in that season in a positive light. Even though both guys had, you know, a, a relatively good 2016 season, um, I do feel like I feel like B is the right grade. Grady Jarrett is, you know, the he's a franchise player, um, and, and it's hard to find those. And when you find one in the fifth round, it, that's a big, big win. And I, I liked the free agent signings. I liked Tammy. I liked Brooks Reed. Um, you know, I felt like they made some sensible moves and didn't overspend in free agency and completely whiff. And the guys that they did spend on, it, it wasn't a lot of money that was lost. So, you know, the cap wasn't devastated by like a Sam Baker type contract. Or so, Dante Fowler. Yeah, or a Dante Fowler. Exactly, exactly. Like a Dante Fowler contract. Um, so this was, I think, a more reserved but successful offseason or uh, season for former GM uh, Thomas Dimitrov. Um, so with that, Adnan, thank you for joining me on this podcast, recapping the 2015 season under Thomas Dimitrov. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you, what you have going on? Um, you can find me at Say Which Way on Twitter. That's uh, 
my social media of choice. And, you know, other than that, uh, we'll be breaking down the off season at the Falcoholic, um, you know, draft season, uh, back into it. Now it's, it's wild that the season's already pretty much over at this point. Um, you know, it feels like just yesterday, uh, the NFL was announcing that, you know, we were going to play and, you know, time's just flying. So, you know, stick with the Falcoholic as, as a one-stop shop for all of your, uh, Falcons news and information. Everyone does a fantastic job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, thank you for joining me on this podcast, Adnan. We're going to have you back on soon as we cover some different topics uh, as we head into the offseason uh, for the Falcons. Um, as for me, guys, you can find me on Twitter at FalcoholicDW. Updates for this podcast at FalcoholicPod. And of course, our articles daily at TheFalcoholic.com. So for Adnan Ikich, this is David Walker. Thank you guys for listening in. We will be covering the 2016 season very soon. So come back for that review. That should be a fun one. Uh, So thanks for listening in. Talk with you next time.